This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight Superstar Frank Morano here. And we are moments away from commendations, but I want to try and lightning round through uh, some phone calls first because people are kind enough to call. Then George Haas is going to be here in 24 minutes to tell you about some structures elsewhere that look very similar to ancient structures on Earth. Very, very interesting. Why would there be something on Mars, let's say, or maybe even the moon, that looks like something on Earth. We'll explore it. We'll get into it. But uh, you guys are kind enough to call, so I want to try and run through at least a few phone calls here. Joe is in the Queens. What's on your mind, Joe? Yeah, Frank, let me say three things fast about the plunge. One, there was an article in the Post, probably around 2015, a girl said she'd do it. She wanted to back out because it was very cold that year. And people heard a scream two miles away on the boardwalk. That's one. Second thing is this book called uh, Dopamine Nation. Uh, it, it gave a case of some guy that was addicted to three major drugs. Nothing worked. And he just took a warm shower and put it on cold for just a minute and that got him his willpower to where he could uh, give up the drugs. And the third thing I want to mention is I don't think if you go and just watch, they'll rag on you. But I think if you go to a new beach and if you're not nude, they do rag on you at the new beach if you don't uh, play the game. Gotcha. Well, yeah, Joe, I am uh, as adventurous as I'm trying to be. I am not going to a nude beach anytime soon. I mean, honestly, if I were in bed, better shape. Uh, not just, uh, you know, with my physique, but, you know, in terms of my nether regions, then I might be tempted to go to a nude beach, but no thank you. You're not getting me to a nude beach. No way, no how. Rob is in White Plains. What's on your mind, Rob? Define nether regions. I think you got an idea of what I'm talking about, Rob. I think I got an idea. All right, listen, some things are best explained by example. If Frank Morano got a new replacement, wouldn't he still be Frank Morano? Right, I would. But if every every part of my body, was- oh, no, but, you're, but, but 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 you're not equal to your intrinsic. This is a good example. A guy went with a hammer to a um, an antique sale. He said, "What's this worth?" It's been in the family seven generations. It's two hundred and eighty years old. I said, it's fantastic. It's in good shape. I'll give you a uh, 500 Ford. He said, that's great. It's only had three new handles and two new heads. <laughs> Duly noted. True in Long Beach. Hi. How's it going, Frank? Frank, they got about 15,000 people here. If you want to come down, I'll pick you up at the train, bring you down to the beach. And I did it five years in a row. And it's great. A lot of people, 
You're all going together. Nobody, if you don't go in, nobody bothers you. It's fun. So, and you do it every yeah. year on Super Bowl Sunday. Yep. Uh, look, honestly, uh, true. I think I'm convinced. If I'm in town uh, and not in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl, then I think I'm going to do it. Why not? Right? Well, at least once. 800-848-9222. Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hi. Hello, Frank. I called to talk about something you mentioned was your ranked choice voting of Republicans. And you put Trump number one and then Vivek Ramaswamy number two. A lot of people think those two uh, people are similar because Vivek Ramaswamy holds a lot of the same positions that former President Trump has. But one thing that's very important, which a lot of people aren't uh, thinking of, which doesn't get a lot of play, is Vivek Ramaswamy is very anti-Israel. And that's important because President Trump obviously wasn't. And in light of the October 7th attacks and and the uh, reactions, you know, the Palestinian protests and stuff like that, and the moral relativism with respect to this uh, Israeli uh, conflict with Hamas, yeah, turn out the, the word against them. I I think that that's an important distinction, and I think that's well worth noting that uh, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy is anti-Israel, and people should really take that into account and, and keep that in mind. Because certainly, as I said, President Trump was not. Well, yeah, I agree with you that he certainly wasn't, Charlie. But the the one thing that I would say is that when Trump was running in 2016, he had rhetoric. uh, Well, I don't even want to say rhetoric. The things he was saying were even more what you would consider to be anti-Israel than the things that Ramaswamy is saying. He said essentially that um, uh, that if they're ever going to get a peace deal that that would be the ultimate deal and that the United States, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't have the quote in front of me, but that the United States can- couldn't be seen as being so much of a, uh, a pro-Israel person. The United States would need to adopt more of a, a neutral stance. He said, this is what he said. I hear, I found the quote. This is what he told Wolf Blitzer, CNN. You can, uh, this is uh, March of 2016. You can look it up for, for yourself. This is what he said about how he would handle the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He said he'd be the neutral guy. I would love to be neutral if it's possible. It's probably not possible because there's so much hatred. There's so much going on. And then he goes on to say that um, we're, you know, we needed to be, if we're going to negotiate a peace deal and be the mediator, we can't show favoritism to Israel. Then obviously when people like John Bolton and uh, folks like Jared Kushner got such prominent roles in his administration, obviously it was, he was not at all neutral. It was very clear what side he was on. So, uh, you know, Mario Cuomo used to say we campaign in poetry and govern in prose. That is certainly true of the things that presidential candidates say. So don't judge people. You, I think you need to look for a philosophy that you find is going to be consistent with what you'd like. And, you know, I I don't think you could say, you know, Selena Zito Zito had a column that I thought was very spot on about why Trump's supporters, and I think it could apply to Ramaswamy's supporters as well, are why they like him, even with all the crazy things that he says, and and why Trump's detractors don't like him, even with all the uh, great things that he does. Again, I'm paraphrasing the column, but basically what Selena Zito says is that Trump's detractors... They take him literally. They take the words he says literally, but they don't take him seriously. Trump supporters take him seriously, but not literally. 
And I think the same could be true to some extent of uh, Ramaswamy. Without further delay, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... I must begin by giving a commendation to Charlie Jeffers, a high school senior who grew up playing with Legos and fell in love with these Lego toys. And it soon dawned on him that many children's families couldn't afford to buy Legos. And he wanted to bring some change. And he started an initiative called Pass the Bricks. And he, this is a teenager. He refurbishes old Lego sets to bring joy to underprivileged kids. I love this. I think this is great. He is taking a passion of his, of his, which is Legos, and using it to help people. And uh, with this Pass the Bricks initiative, I think is great. He works with two dozen volunteers. They collect used Lego pieces. They clean them up. They put them into new sets with the help of design software. And they put in even extra effort by putting assembly instructions for each set into the boxes and a photo of what the completed project should look like, adding a really professional touch to the product. And he says it was always one of his favorite activities, something that helped him learn math, art, and engineering. And why shouldn't other people get to enjoy that as well? So uh, for this young man, Charlie Jeffers, I do commend you. I must also commend, this is going to be very controversial, but uh, buckle up, buckle up. I must also commend Pope Francis. I got, Look, I don't like to usually give credit or take away blame for just judgment calls, but I think this is really significant. The Pope has approved blessings for same-sex couples. These are blessings that must not resemble marriage. The Vatican issued this new document explaining this radical change in Vatican policy by insisting that people seeking God's love and mercy should not be subjected to an exhaustive moral analysis. I love this. I love this uh, because I think this very much is in keeping with Jesus' teachings in terms of not judging others for being not as moral as you'd like them to be. I think this is not just a great thing for gay couples— but I think this is a great thing for the Catholic Church. You know, I identify more these days as a uh, as an Episcopalian for a variety of reasons. But part of it, the reason is because I find the Catholic Church not nearly tolerant enough of a bunch of things, including um, same-sex relationships. And I think this could be a wonderful thing that want for people that want Catholicism to be a part of their lives and have felt alienated because of the church's teachings on homosexuality. But I think it could also be a great thing for the Catholic Church, which has struggled in countries that are not in Central America or Africa, to maintain and grow membership, because I think this sends the message to gay people that believe in the teachings, many of the teachings of the Catholic Church, that, yeah, you're welcome here, too. So I think this is a great thing. And uh, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Pope Francis for the most part, and I think this is another thing that he's doing which will history will judge him well for. I must also commend General Hospital. Uh, General Hospital was, along with the Kelly Clarkson show, the big winner at the 50th Annual Daytime Emmy Awards. They were handed out Friday in Los Angeles. 
Susan Lucci, once famous for being nominated for a Daytime Emmy 19 times before she finally won, received the Lifetime Achievement Award. General Hospital was named Outstanding Drama Series. It also won awards for directing, for acting, a whole bunch of things. And General Hospital has just been on for forever. It's been on for decades. The fact that this show maintains such a devoted fan base and is still winning awards more than any other show, that's impressive. One of the most difficult things to achieve in entertainment is any degree of longevity. And uh, the fact that General Hospital has been pleasing audiences and critics for as long as they have, I got to tell you, I think that's impressive. And I must commend the state of Texas for the eighth year in a row. America's strongest state is Texas. That is is that is according to Lift Vault's review of 2023 powerlifting data, comparing the top 10 lifters in each state to see who's the strongest. When Texas came out on top, they looked back at past years and saw that this has been the case since at least 2016. So good for you, Texas. I guess the saying, they don't mess with Texas, don't mess with Texas, is rooted in fact. I must uh, common, uh, commend flax seeds, flax seeds and other foods rich in lignans may reduce the risk of developing breast cancer. This suggests preliminary results from an animal study. In the study published December 7th in Microbiology Spectrum, researchers focused on how lignans influence the relationship between the gut microbiome, bacteria, and other microbes that live in the gastrointestinal tract, and the generation of microRNAs in the mammary gland. And it looks like there's some very promising data here that shows a link between the gut microbiome and the miRNAs in breast tissue in mice. This is what is influenced by flaxseed lignans. You know, I've known a lot of people that have battled breast cancer over the years, including, uh, you know, family members of mine. I never knew my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, because she died of breast cancer when I was uh, a baby. And uh, if there's even a little bit of truth to this, maybe think about overcom- including flaxseed in your diet. It's great in a smoothie. It's great in a salad. It's great in a bunch of different things. I want to commend um, Kim Kravitz, Kimberly Kravitz, and Kyle Buckowicz. Um, I was at their wedding last night, Sunday night. A beautiful wedding. This is a, a fairy tale wedding. I would not want to have been the person or persons that paid the bill for this wedding. Kimberly Kravitz is a great person. She and I were friends. Uh, She's a great broadcaster. She's an anchor on News 12 New Jersey. She's called into this show several times. And she and Kyle uh, actually announced their engagement on the show. Kim, even though we were friends first because of, um, you know, industry affiliation and because my friend Dennis, who was almost like a second father to me as a teenager, he's friends with her as well. And he had been trying to connect us for a long time, and then we both started working in media around the same time. So she is a a former beauty queen. She was Miss Congeniality in the uh, Miss New Jersey pageant. And if possible, uh, she's an even nicer person than she is beautiful. And I never met a person more positive than she was. She is. 
she's always smiling. I've never heard her say a bad word about anybody. And then I meet this guy that she was dating. This guy is her male equivalent. As handsome as she is beautiful. Whoever, I mean, whatever child or children they have, look out. Because they're going to give birth to Narcissus. That's going to be the best looking child that's ever lived. And this guy is even more, or at least as positive as Kimberly is. But we had a great time at the wedding. A lot of fun. And I want to give Kimberly and Kyle... A big, big commendation. If for no other reason than when they read vows to one another, my wife said to me after the ceremony, I'm not joking here, and I hope my wife's not listening because she may not appreciate me sharing this, but she said to me, she said, after listening to Kyle and Kim talk about one another, I realized that I need to be nicer to you. Now, if that wedding gets my wife to be a little nicer to me, then that is just, just tops. That's reason alone for accommodation. I want to commend Reed Markham. Reed Markham is uh, a shy kid who was bullied in school. And he was, he, you know, he's from Oklahoma. And he was just a kid when he learned that some children in his little town didn't have any toys under the Christmas tree. His parents divorced when he was seven years old. And the thought of him having friends in the fifth grade who would find nothing under their tree was tough to hear. So whatever the reason, his heart or him being sad about being lonely, he proposed to his mother to hold a toy drive, similar in structure to a backpack drive that they had organized the year before. So Reed's mother, Angie Miller, posted a video on Facebook explaining her son's intentions and asked for donations of toys or money to buy toys for a giveaway that Reed had decided to do as a 4-H project. Lo and behold, this teenager was able to overcome shyness to collect and give away 54,000 toys to the less fortunate. I I think this is just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. You know, we look at all the toys that our son has, including stuff that he's never opened. I mean, he's already got more toys than he can play with. And he's got toys that he's never opened. You know, my wife and I said yesterday, we're going to give these away. We're going to give these away to people who aren't as fortunate as our son is to have this uh, multitude of toys. And uh, I think when you look at people like Reed Markham, or uh, excuse me, um, yeah, Reed Markham and his mom, who are not just giving away toys that they have, but actively going out and helping to make the Christmases a little bit brighter for tens of thousands of school children. I I can't think of anything that's more commendable. So, Reed Markham, I do commend you. I must also commend uh, country music star Luke Combs. When country music star Luke Combs learned that a big fan of his was fined a quarter million dollars for using his likeness, Combs stepped in to help. A company contracted by Combs Management identified Florida resident Nicole Harness as selling tumblers and T-shirts with his likeness on them on Amazon. So they took her to court, and they won a $250,000 judgment against her, which Nicole Harness, who has congestive heart failure, didn't have and had no means of obtaining. So, as, as Mr. Combs described on social media, she told me she was absolutely shocked by this. And this fella, you know, uh, Combs is so apologetic. He's talking to her. He said it makes him sick that this would happen, especially at the holiday. 
In total, they had sold just 18 tumblers for a total of $360. 18 tumblers for $360. She had no idea that she was targeted along with a whole bunch of other illegal online vendors in this lawsuit. So Combs said Harness told told him she had $5,500 locked in her Amazon account, which the judge determined had to go towards the $250,000. So um, basically he said, I'm going to double that, send her $11,000 today just so she doesn't have anything to worry about. She was never supposed to be involved in anything like this. Furthermore, Combs decided to license an official Tumblr to sell on his online store with the proceeds going to fund Harness's medical bills. So he invited Nicole and her family out to a show, and he wants to give her a hug and say sorry in person. And he wants to clear this up because he says it makes him sick for anybody to be thinking that he's this kind of person. Well, I'm glad that he rectified this. And, you know, it's easy to keep in mind, I'm not justifying using anyone's image or especially making money off anyone's image without their permission. But it's uh, it's easy to understand that when you, you're talking about a, a judgment that you're happy about, there's someone on the other side of that judgment, somebody that may have a very tough time. All right, I want to commend Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida, according to Wallet Hub, you're not going to believe this, is the best city for New Year's. Oh, yes. Times Square might be the most famous destination in the U.S. for ringing in the New Year, but it's also extremely expensive. Local businesses in New York City and many other famous locales across the U.S. are notorious for hiking up their prices when big crowds are in town for a major event. It's true for hotels, and it's true for restaurants, and basically it goes through the entertainment and food rank of all these cities, the costs, safety, and accessibility, and they they found that the total score for Orlando was number one. Number two was San Diego, and uh, number three was New York. They go through average wine price. They go through all sorts of other factors. And looks like Orlando is not a bad place to celebrate New Year's Eve. And finally, I want to commend the Cabasso family. This is a Brooklyn family, Jewish family, and a hateful teenager was caught on camera tearing down an inflatable bear holding a menorah outside of this family's Brooklyn home during Hanukkah. And they were very shaken by this, but they didn't back down. So in the wake of this vandalism, rather than cower away and try to hide any display of religiosity, they purchased an even bigger bear an inflatable menorah as a replacement. And um, Mr. the homeowner, Ike Cabasso, said it's the whole concept of the holiday. Light has to shine brighter, and we shine brighter. We're not going to fight with them. We're not going to sit here looking to fight. We're going to shine brighter. We're going to do the right thing. I think that's great. First of all, it's just horrible that this young man would rip the inflatable menorah um, before, uh, you know, destroying the other holiday decorations. But I think that's such a wonderful thing to do to show this kind of resilience, to not just put your decoration, your religious decoration back up, but to put it up in a manner that's even more grand than what it had been 
previously. So, uh, to the Cabasso family, I do commend you. Uh, if you want to comment on anybody that I've commended, you're certainly welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. And then uh, we are going to talk with George Haas in just a bit, a little bit about structures that are found elsewhere and what they might mean for life here or life out there. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files. After the hour, this is the other side of midnight. We like to explore different mysteries, mysteries of the world, mysteries of the universe, explore the world of the unexplained, and ask what? And if not what, what if? Well, I have always been fascinated by the idea that there might be intelligent life on planets other than ours. I have been further fascinated by the fact that maybe they've been here before. There is some evidence to show that might be the case. But what absolutely takes the cake is what some people refer to, and I realize there are a lot of subsets of this, but most broadly, they'll refer to it as the ancient alien hypothesis, which is what if... Ancient and ancient, ancient civilizations, ancient times. What if the very seedlings of life on this planet came from elsewhere? Some people point to mythological or biblical text, which describes things very much like a UFO. Well, what if, what if we told you? that there are some structures on this planet that are very similar to structures on other planets. How'd they get here? How'd they get there? Is it just a coincidence? Or 
was it some sort of intelligent entity that was responsible for the structures here and, say, maybe on Mars? Well, I am uh, very pleased uh, to welcome back to the program George Hass. Uh, George Hass is uh, a brilliant man. He's the founder of something called the Sidonia Institute and has uh, written about this, studied this for many, many years. And we have some very interesting new images to explore regarding the supposed face on Mars. George Hass, welcome back to the program. Frank, thanks for having me on. Uh, Looking forward to talking to you tonight. Same here. George, uh, for people that are not familiar with your work and are not familiar and have not heard our previous discussion, give us the Reader's Digest version of what you do. What does the Sidonia Institute do, and what uh, what are you uh, researching or seeking to prove? Well, um, I've been studying uh, NASA photographs of Mars for uh, over 30 years. Um, I started the Sedonia Institute, which was a group of uh, uh, researchers that were involved in, in studying the planet Mars and uh, the possibility of structures being there. Uh, we've, I've been doing this since uh, I think the Sedonia Institute was established back in 1991. So we've been doing this a long time. Uh, I had two books published with my co-author, William Saunders. Uh, the first book in, I think, 2005, the Sedonia Codex. And then we had the Sidonia, uh, the Martian Codex, which was released, I think, in 2009. Uh, subsequently, we've uh, co-authored at least six science papers dealing with uh, structures on the surface of Mars. Uh, there are science journals out there that do publish articles about uh, the possibility of, of structures on Mars, the moon, and things like that. And uh, so we've had uh, at least six papers published. Uh, I'm a member of the Society for Planetary SETI Research, uh, which is a group of scientists of, that uh, deal with this type of topic. And uh, I'm the only member that's not a scientist. I'm an artist. My background is in art. I'm a painter and a sculptor. So uh, basically, I know artwork when I see it. And there's a lot of artwork on Mars. Now, a lot of folks have seen the image of the the face on Mars. Now, that's what we're that's the Sidonia face, right? Yes, the Sidonia face, which was uh, taken back in 1976 with the Mars, uh, the Viking mission. They took uh, two images of that. The conventional wisdom on that face is, yeah, that image from the 70s does look like a face. Looks maybe like uh, Elvis or uh, some sort of, uh, I don't know, Roman uh, or Egyptian uh, emperor. But then, you know, they showed some other images of that face some years after that, and it doesn't look as much like a face. And the, the thinking is that it was kind of debunked by subsequent images. Explain to folks why that theory, the theory of the Sidonia face being debunked and proven not to be a face, is either correct or incorrect. Well, the, the problem with the face on Mars is it's not a human face. It's not a symmetrical face. Uh, When people hear, oh, there's a face on Mars, they immediately think of a human face. Uh, They think of maybe, like you said, uh, Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, a human Greek god-looking face looking up at the sky. But that's not exactly what the face on Mars is. And the more pictures that NASA took prove that it's not a human face. It's a bifurcated, uh, two-faced edifice. It's very much related to the type of two-faced structures that you see, or masks and things like that, that are made in Mesoamerica. And uh, the first thing that we realized back in 19, 
98 when they took the first uh, new image of the face on Mars, since the 1976 image, was that we saw all of this uh, motifs and iconography that was on the face that looked very much like the cultures of Mesoamerica. And since that image in 1998, NASA has taken, oh, there's at least 40 images of the face on Mars. Now, this is a structure on Mars that NASA said they had no interest in science, but they've, <laughs> they've taken over 40 images of this. And uh, the reason I'm on here tonight is because after 16 years of the Mars uh, Reconnaissance Orbiter, they took a beautiful high-resolution image of this back in 2007. And we haven't had a new image of this and the high resolution since that, since 16 years. So out of nowhere, out of the blue, uh, quietly, NASA has taken two, not one, two new high resolution images of this formation, and they are exceptional. And these new images, basically along with the 2007, we now have photographic proof of this connection to Mesoamerica. So... Um this is pretty blockbuster, and you've written a new article about this for the Sedonia Institute uh, Field Journal, and they can uh, they, they can check out the website for the Sedonia Institute at the c y d o n i a institute dot com. What is the, uh, the one of the things that you mentioned now twice that I want to get you to emphasize is the similarity of this structure on Mars to structures in Mesoamerica. Um, what structures in Mesoamerica is this similar to? Well, um, when, like, again, I said that uh, most people, when they think of a face on Mars, they think of a human symmetrical face. But this is more of a composite image. This is very much out of the New World uh, Mesoamerican. Uh, American Indians did these type of masks uh, that have a human face on one side and a feline on the other. Uh, you have this uh, conjoining of the feline and human, kind of like in Egypt where you have the sphinx, which is a, uh, a feline body with a human head. This uh, transformational idea comes uh, right out of uh, the Olmec culture in, in uh, the Americas. And the Maya, the Aztec, the Inca, uh, the American Indians, they produced a lot of these two-faced masks. Now, the face on Mars is not only two-faced, it's a human on one side and a feline on the other. It's split right down the middle. And not only is it a human and feline type of face, uh, it has all this attached uh, decorative iconography and different motifs in this composite of the face. It's very complex. That's why the, your average viewer has difficulty looking at it. Once, if they go on to the Sedonia Institute and uh, take a look at my new article about the, the two uh, MRO high-rise images, hopefully I have did step-by-step step to explain what we're looking at here, and that'll help the viewer. I'm sure you were impressed when you oh, seen that. Absolutely, and I'm going to link to your article right now on my Facebook page. Uh, they can see the article right there and uh, read through, not, not only see the images, but read through uh, some of the research for themselves. So, uh, I mean, what, what? some folks will say, okay, maybe there is some sort of structures on there. Maybe it's natural, maybe it's uh, something else. And it does happen to look similar to stuff that's from Earth civilizations in ancient times. Why couldn't it just be a coincidence? Is there just one structure or geoglyph that looks similar on Earth as on Mars? Well, um, just starting with the face on Mars uh, and all the iconography that it has within it, embedded within the face, we have 
over 15 points of uh, cultural markers that are found in the face on Mars. I mean, that goes way beyond any kind of chance. And these things are directly, all of these images and these motifs that are found on the face uh, have direct correlation with Mesoamerican motifs and mythology. It's just remarkable. And not only in Sidonia do we have the face on Mars, below it there's the five-pointed D&M pyramid, which is a five-sided pyramid, which has very uh, unique mathematical properties. It's, it's very geometric. Uh, on the far western side, there's all pyramidal structures that uh, early researchers called the city. Uh, so there's all types of strange, uh, if it's geology, it's, it's way beyond the uh, geology we're familiar with. This looks more like something that's intentionally designed. And is it just the one, though? Are there other similar structures on Mars and on this planet? Uh, well, Sidonia is mostly the area that a lot of people concentrate on in the media, things like that, is because that was one of the first areas that we found the face on Mars. But Mars is actually covered with these type of city formations. Um, I have a new book that I've been working on for the last 10, 15 years that is coming out um, next year uh, with the... Uh, Baron Company. It's called the Great Architects of Mars, and it talks about all these different areas on Mars that have these structures, pyramidal structures, three-sided pyramids, four-sided pyramids, other pyramids that look very step-like, like you would see in Mesoamerica. Uh, so it's, uh, I'm very excited about it. It's been working on this for a long time, and it's just amazing that uh, my book's be coming out next year, and we have these two new images of the face on Mars that are just remarkable. So uh, someone at NASA uh, has decided to uh, take these pictures and release them. And it's, it's just remarkable. After 16 years of waiting for uh, new high-res images of this formation, we now have them. I think we now have photographic proof that this is an artificial structure. Do you believe that NASA is releasing these images as a movement towards greater disclosure of something? Or do you believe that they uh, are releasing these images because they think this would be a uh, further debunking of the Sidonia face? Well, the other interesting thing, Frank, is that they've just released these. Uh, one came out on October 1st, and the second one was released in November. Uh, there was no fanfare, no media release. Uh, these were quietly released. Uh, we didn't even know about them. One of my... Uh, colleagues that I work with, uh, Gary Legere, uh, he is an independent researcher, and he was just going around looking at, the, you know, checking out files, seeing, because occasionally NASA will release new images, and, you know, there's, there's no fanfare, and you have to go look for them. But something like the face on Mars uh, that they're releasing, these two uh, Mars reconnaissance orbiter high-rise images, it's just amazing. And we wouldn't even know about these until Gary found them, and he called me and said, my God, George, they took a new... Uh, image of the face on Mars in the, you know, the highest resolution ever. And it's, it's pretty amazing. It's, there's nothing... Frank, you are the first media person to be talking about this. This is nowhere. Uh, no, I, I'm pretty excited about this, and I read the article with great interest. So, in, and by the way, if people are just uh, tuning in, wondering uh, what all the fanfare is about, we're talking with George Hass. He's the founder of the Sidonia Institute. New images of the Sidonia face on Mars. And it's really pretty remarkable, the similarity to ancient structures from uh, Mesoamerica and other ancient mythologies. Uh, George, let's say this is an artificial structure on Mars. Let's say it is materially similar to images from Earth's past. 
What do we take from that? What do we, obviously this might be above even your pay grade, but what are some of the possibilities that emerge from that similarity? Well, what these images show that there's a direct relationship between the culture that built these on Mars and us. Uh, We're finding the same type of style, the same type of artwork, the same motifs, this composite idea, which is unlike your Western ideal where you have the Greek and Roman uh, symmetrical figures and faces, everything is, you know, like the human form. And then you look at the cultures in uh, the New World that they called it in the old days, uh, uh, the United States, uh, Mexico, uh, South America, they, they deal with the human figures in a totally different manner. It's very complex. They do this bifurcated three faces um, and all this type of stuff attached to faces with these decorative motifs. And that's exactly what we're finding in this artwork on Mars. It's very related to that type of culture. And this is just amazing. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the Western scientists would envision when they find something on another planet, you know, it would look like Roman columns, and this would be a symbol of, you know, a high civilization. But this is not what we're finding. This culture that was on Mars is very much like what you see in the, the New World cultures. Lastly, and things like that. lastly, George, what are the next steps in researching this, either from you, other researchers, scientists, NASA? What would you like to see happen next? I mean, Mars isn't around the corner. It's not as if we could send somebody uh, with uh, a camera every week, oh, get a different angle, get a different angle. Where do we go from here? Well, this looks like uh, now that I'm saying publicly that I think we have photographic proof of this, we now have to have what they call ground proof. Uh, Elon Musk, you know, he's really trying to get us to go to Mars. Uh, maybe he was uh, part of the influence that got these images released because uh, he wants the public's interest to be focused on Mars. He wants to go to Mars. He wants to build a colony there. And I think if the public realized that there was a potential for finding all of these artifacts on Mars, that there may be more of a push to go there. Um, so I don't know why these two images were released at this time. It's a great Christmas present for uh researchers like myself it's just i mean my head's still spinning looking at these oh i can imagine i can i can imagine and i think the next step is to go there uh you know we're having difficulty trying to get to get to the moon and another thing about us going to the moon we're supposed to be going there in 2024 or 2028 they keep giving us different dates uh but there's real no uh commercial push by nasa or the government uh with with programs uh, tv specials uh there seems to be this is just pushed aside, and it, it's like something that's uh, just on the back burner. But, you know, we're supposed to be going to the Artemis project, going right. to the moon, and you really don't see a lot of, uh, you know, public campaigning for this. Well, the one guy that's been very vocal about uh, going to Mars, maybe even colonizing Mars, has been Buzz Aldrin. He's been on a mission uh, all about uh, going to Mars. But for the most part, you're right. We don't hear that very often from uh, from the NASA folks. Hey, George Hass, this is uh, really interesting and uh, a phenomenal article on uh, on your part. I hope people check it out. And I hope they check out the website uh, for the Sidonia Institute. They can go to Sidonia Institute, excuse me, the Sidonia Institute. Yeah, all one word. Yep. Uh, George, thank Thank you very much for the time this morning. Let's chat again soon. Can I say one more thing? Please. Uh, I also am part of a new Mars documentary, which was just released last month, called Blue Planet Red. Uh, it's available on the Internet. You just type in Blue Planet Red. Uh, it's produced by a guy named Brian Dobbs and uh, Michael Craig. And uh, I'm in it. A lot of people are in it. And it, 
has a lot of the founders of this type of research. So it's, that's another thing that's very timely. This new documentary is being released, should be in theaters probably early next year. And, uh, you know, everything is just snowballing here with this research. That's, that's, that's terrific. I haven't seen that documentary, Blue Planet Red. I'm going to check that out myself. I'll send you a link, Frank. Oh, that would be great. George, thank you. Good night. Thanks for having me on. And check out our article, please. Uh, absolutely. Uh, definitely. I uh, encourage folks to do just that. And again, I link to it on my Facebook page, George Hass. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. My thanks again to uh, Dominic Carter for uh, sitting in on this program yesterday. I didn't get to hear the program, uh, but I heard that he did a, a terrific job, which is not the least bit surprising because he's a real professional. I'm looking forward to uh, checking out the podcast. I heard he had some great interviews, which I'm looking forward to uh, checking out. I had a great, we, my wife and I both had a great time at this wedding. It's great to meet some new people. Great to reconnect with uh, with friends and family members that you don't get to see very often, including some people that we're very close to that we hadn't seen even since uh, since COVID. So it was great to see everybody. I will say again, though, and this is not a criticism of Kyle and Kim at all, because this is every wedding. I will say again, I cannot understand for the life of me why all of these weddings, and it's not just weddings because it's a lot of other parties as well, why all of these events need to be this loud. I think music is great when you can hear it. And I know a lot of people love to dance and maybe, you know, you need music that's just a a bit better or a bit louder than what you can dance to. What I don't understand is why... The music needs to be so loud that not only can you not hear what anybody else is saying, not only can you not hear yourself think, but no matter where you are, if you're within 5,000 feet of the DJ booth, you can't hear 
you're in pain almost because the music is so loud. And again, it's not a criticism of them because this is everywhere. But sure enough, you know, I'm at this wedding and people will come up to me while the music is playing loudly and only getting louder. And I'll be I'll be saying, you know, the, hi, hi, oh, oh, this is Charlie. What? This is Charlie. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Hi, I'm Frank. Frank's on the radio. Oh, you listen to the radio. No, he knows about politics. If they come to have these big, lengthy discussions about complex foreign policy matters, or complex like, hey, Frank, let me ask you a question. You just nod at what you think the other person is saying. I did about an hour and a half of nodding. I hope I didn't nod to trying to bring back uh, the Jim Crow laws or something crazy. I have no idea what I was nodding to. You know, people seem friendly enough. They meet you. You know, oh, you, you, I hear one out of every ten words, and you nod. You nod. I, I mean... Uh, but I just don't get it. When we got married, that was the one thing um, my wife and I agreed upon. Was we said um, we said to the DJ, we said, you know the volume that you play music at at dinner when people are eating? That's the volume we want you to play it at the whole time. Maybe a little louder. But we're going to be watching that volume. Don't go above this level of uh, of decibels. I just don't get it. You know, you know where the volume was appropriate? I had to step out into the lobby with the door closed, and that's like a regular, normal volume. But then, sure enough, the door would open, and it's blaring. And this is while you're in the lobby. Again, not a criticism of them at all. They're a beautiful couple. This was a beautiful venue. Fairy tale wedding. I, it's, I just, this is the wedding industrial complex. They, I guess people like it. Am I the only one that doesn't? 800-848-9222. Keep asking questions.